It's all about life. We prayed that in our opening curie that, 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 that the, the faith that we have seeks life and the fullness of life, abundance of life, eternal life. And, and the number one sign of life besides reproduction is growth. If something is alive, it, it is called always to growth, whether that's physical growth or emotional growth or, or psychological growth or spiritual growth. Today, we're going to take a look at what does it mean to spiritually grow, to be taken to a place where we know not where we may be going, but it is the place where God wants us to to be. Uh, we don't begin that way. We, we begin, all of us begin as little, little literalist. Everything that we, everything that we see, we take literally. Everything that we hear, we hear literally. We're, we're real strong little fundamentalists. And it's not bad when you're a little kid. I think it works for us really well when you're a little kid. But, but after a while, it can get us in trouble. I remember the story that Father Pud Holland used to tell of, of saying Mass one Sunday. And when he came to the consecration of the cup, he looked down at the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood. And immediately, a three-year-old in the first pew began to cry and sob uncontrollably. And after Mass, he asked his father, what's going on? He says, well, he, he just had his first no, nosebleed, and he was about to watch you drink his blood. <laughs> Literally. Literally. We are, and, and, and that's okay. I mean, we, we, that, that's where we need to begin. We need to begin with those clear lines, and this is the story. It is said that the, 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 the shortest route between a human being and the truth is a story. And so when we treat, teach our children about how to live a moral life, we tell them fables and we tell them stories. And, and of course, the best, most wonderful stories are the, the Bible stories. And so we tell children the story of, of, of Adam and Eve, and there was a, a man and a woman, and, and there was a snake, and the snake tempted the woman, and she, she ate the fruit that she was not allowed, and, and then they were all thrown out of the garden. And, and, and then there was Moses, and Moses went, and, and he, uh, he uh, took the rod, and he, and he, he when escaping the Egyptians, he, he went to the Red Sea, and he struck the rod, and the sea split in two, just like Charleston Heston. Yeah. <laughs> and the Egyptians walked by, and of course the kids' eyes get so big, and the fire is burning, and God speaks through the fire. I think that's okay. I think that's a really good way to begin. I think we need to begin conservatively. We need, I think we get our identity about who we are uh, from that kind of, of rigidity for a beginning. It, it really serves us well until it doesn't serve us. And when it doesn't serve us, it really does serve it. It really doesn't. Ending up as a fundamentalist is probably one of the most dangerous things that could possibly happen to us as an adult. It means we stopped growing. We refused to go beyond. Uh, I, I remember my, I, I got my first taste of this when I was a freshman in college at Conception Seminary in Missouri. And Father Ignatius Hunt was our, our professor. He was quite a scripture scholar. He had written books about scriptures. And, and he began by telling us, no, he spoke like, no, Gentlemen, St. Paul tells us, when you were children, I gave you milk. Now you're ready. I'm not sure if you're ready for solid food. He says, are you ready for solid food? 
And of course, the seminarians went, yeah, yeah, whatever. He said, well, Adam, there was no Adam. Adam simply means man. Eva simply means woman. There was no stake. It's, it's a mythical story. And, 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 and Moses, Moses, he comes to the Red Sea, but you know, that's not really the right translation. It's actually the Reed Sea. And the Egyptian, the Israelites were able to cross across, across it because they just had their shoes. The Egyptians had these chariots that it got caught in the muck and the mire and they couldn't get through. And then he taught us about myth, the classic meaning of myth. You know, there are two meanings of myth. One is the, the, the common idea, which says, you know, it's just not true, it's just a myth, it's stupid, forget it. Then the, then the classic idea of myth. And, and myth is a very powerful thing. Every myth reveals great truth. The only thing is that it's, it's not historical. It's not factual. As a matter of fact, the truth is so often so deep and so great that the only way you can talk about it is in mythological language. Every other kind of language fa- fails. And so, so he's saying, so we're telling the stories of myths. And, and, and I can remember one seminary in particular, he burst into tears. And he said, and Father, I guess he said, what's, what's wrong? He says, you're, you're rooting my faith. I always believed in this. And now you're telling me it's something different? I'm not sure what to believe right now. He was going through what is called, we know it well, if you had a little bit of psychology, cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is when when you've got something in your mind the way it's supposed to be. Then all of a sudden you come to a realization that that's not the way it is at all. And now, how do you reconcile the two? Well, one is you can... You can either go deeper and begin to reconcile, or, or you can just throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. Because I can remember the kids saying, well, if that's not true, then what is true? And what is true in the Bible? I can remember writing an article about my, my uh, housemate, Butch Knudsen, in, in, uh, about uh, feeding a mechanical bird one day that he thought was a real bird. And, and I wrote a big, long article. He says, He's, I didn't do all that. He said, I said, I embellished it a little bit. <laughs> and he said, I've learned a new word, embellishment. He says, in the Bible, he says, there's all these words and there's maybe this much truth. I said, no, no, Butch. Yes. There is great truth, but we've got to get to it. Now, I'm, I'm saying all of this because this leads to, to the gospel today, which I, I, I really love this gospel. I think it's really profound because it talks about cognitive dissonance that, that John the Baptist is going to have almost like no other human being has ever had. John the Baptist is really thrown for a loop today. He's, he's finding himself in prison. He, he's about to have his head lopped off on account of Jesus. And now, like the young seminarian, he's got some doubts. And one of the things that we really need to understand clearly is that there's no faith without doubt. They are, they are correlatives. They're not opposites. As a matter of fact, the reason it is faith is because we don't know. Oh, how blessed are those who do not see, yet still believe, Jesus says to Thomas. And he says that to us as well. 
And, and I can remember in my 30s when I had my 50th anniversary a year and a half, two years ago, I remember telling the people, I said, when I was in my early 30s, I literally lost my faith. I can remember going to the chapel every day, looking at the crucifix, saying, if you're real, I want to know. I want to know. I don't know anymore. I'm doing all the things. Nobody in the outside world had any idea that I was going through any, any torment. Or, or, but I was having a real crisis of faith, cognitive dissonance. What's going on here? Where is the mystery that I'm asked to enter into? And that's the, that's the dilemma that John finds himself. Why? Because who was cocksure of who the Messiah was? If it wasn't John, who was it? I mean, this is the one who's leaping for joy in his mother's womb. And the, in the presence of, of, of Jesus, this is the one whose father, Zechariah, predicts that he is going to be the, the forerunner, the predecessor of the Messiah. He's going to announce that the Messiah is coming. As a matter of fact, he spends his whole life in preparation, living in the desert with the Essenes, getting ready to, to proclaim his message because, because the Messiah is coming and he gets to proclaim him. He is the voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord, make, make the mountains low and the valleys high, make a level highway for our God, get yourself ready. Why? Because when he comes, watch out, watch out. We have been under the thumb of every other nation in the world, but that's about to end. Because the Messiah is going to restore Israel to its righteous place. And when he sits on his throne, Rome and all the other powers that think they be will be under our thumb and not us under theirs. He's going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. The bad from the good. His winnowing fan, we heard last week, is in his hand. And the, and, and the wheat and the chaff will be separated. The wheat he will put into his barn, and the chaff will burn in unquenchable fire. That's John. That's John. And, and, and so, and, 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 and even when Jesus comes, I mean, John is so cocksure that this is the one, that when, that when Jesus comes, John, John says, uh, I'm not worthy to untie your sandals. You, I, you should be baptizing me, not I you. And, and after the baptism, the heavens open up. In one of the synoptics, he too hears the voice of God saying, you know who this is? It's my son. This is my son. So if there's anybody who's called to believe in Jesus, it's John the Baptist. He even sends his disciples, sends Andrew. He says, leave me. That's the one. There's the Lamb of God. Follow that one. And now he's not sure. Now he's not positive. Why? Because while John was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets who separated the good from the bad, because holiness, holiness is defined as separating the impure from the pure. And the 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 the, the, the unrighteous, sinful from the righteous. Uh, holiness meant following the law of God. John's in jail right now because he's following the holiness law that says, Herod, you can't marry the way you've married. That's against the law. That's why he, he's paying the price right now. And so he's got some serious questions. And why? Because what's Jesus doing? Jesus is coming and doing just the opposite of what John 
was doing. He, he, he also quotes Isaiah. A, 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 ruse, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Where John eschews the public sinners and the unrighteous, Jesus dines with them. He brings them into his orbit. And in the Jewish community, in the Israelite community, there is nothing more intimate you can do than to share a meal with somebody, to break bread with him. And who's he bringing in? The unholy, the dirty, the unrighteous. John says, stay away from the tax collectors. They are evil people. Jesus says to the tax collector, follow me. Follow me. John is preaching separation. Jesus is preaching integration. John is preaching retribution. Jesus is preaching restoration. Taking everything that is disparate in the world to put it together again. It became disparate when when we said we don't need God, when Adam and Eve ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they wanted to be like God and have the answers all by themselves and God left us all by ourselves. And what do we do when we are left to our own devices? We divide to conquer. And that's where John thought he was. And Jesus is saying no. So needless to say, he's confused. Needless to say, he's got some serious doubts. And I want to say unequivocally, it's okay to have some serious doubts. It's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to question. I think all of us, if we have ever grown to any depth of our faith, have had a wrestling match or two with God. Jacob wasn't the only one who wrestled with him all night long. We too are called to wrestle with him. Now John is wrestling with him. Are you the one or should we look for another? How interesting, how interesting Jesus sends his disciples back to John with this message. He doesn't, notice he doesn't answer whether he is the Messiah or not. Doesn't say that. He says, tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind see. Those who are blind are now restored to sight. The deaf hear. Those who cannot hear are now able to hear. The lepers are cured. The death, the dead are raised. Those who thought they were absolutely outside of all of creation, the poor, are now included. Well, they've got some good news. The good news is that you're just as important as the richest king in the world. That's all he could say. What's he doing? He's restoring the world. He's bringing us back into the garden. And the garden is always a place of what? Of harmony. Where, where, where everything works together in a beautiful ecological system. And that's where he wants us to go. Hey, there's only one thing that Jesus says after that. He says, how blessed, how blessed is the one who does not find in me a stumbling block. How blessed is the one who takes no scandal in me. Because John now can turn away, but he doesn't. He begins to understand that he is called to something much deeper. 
And after John leaves, Jesus has this wonderful colloquy with the people who are all around him. The crowd is there. And of course, the crowd has been going out. The crowd knows about John. They've all gone out to the desert to see him. And so he says, what did you go out to see? Why did you go to the, what in the world propelled you into the desert? A reed shaking in the wind? I don't think so. Somebody dressed in fine clothing? Get away. We know that he wasn't any of those things. I'll tell you what you went to see. You went to see a prophet. Not only a prophet, the greatest of all the prophets. The prophet was the mouthpiece of God. And insofar as John the Baptist understood God and his tradition, he preached it. He preached it. Jesus goes on to give the greatest compliment one human being can give to another. From the creation of the world until now, no man born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. And yet, the least born into the kingdom is greater than he. That's that's revolutionary. That's utterly revolutionary. Why? Who is born into the kingdom? We are. We're born into the kingdom. We now are the body of Christ in space and time. We now are called to have sinners come to dine with us. We now are called to reconcile one with the other. Oh, the great public sin of the world today, as you've heard me preach over and over and over again, is the separation of peoples. From those of us who feel that we are righteous to those who feel that they are righteous. And Jesus says it cannot be. That cannot be. Because the kingdom of God is about justice, peace, healing, reconciliation, and restoration. The kingdom comes, and we pray for the coming of the kingdom when all is back to where it belongs, when all is restored. And so we who are members of the kingdom, we who believe that the kingdom of God is at hand, we who understand what it means to be a daughter and son of the kingdom, continue to have our work cut out for us. Touching, healing, giving sight to the blind, growing, going beyond the categories that we thought we could not live without into this incredible divine mystery of the knowledge of Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, no, more than God with us. God in us. God working through us. Maranatha, Maranatha, O come Emmanuel.